Thanks be to God for the people of God. Thank you also for your gracious reception to the message last week. A number of you commented your appreciation for the preaching on generosity. It is truly my desire to invite you into the space of God's generous provision in your life, in mine. I would not be fulfilling my call if I did not invite you into that space. But be thankful that I only preached on it one Sunday because we're gonna talk about hospitality for two Sundays. <laughs> for the last two or three weeks as I've been thinking about this message today, about hospitality and why it matters why it matters for the sake of the gospel, why it matters for the sake of the kingdom. Three, four weeks ago, I spoke about that the gospel is, is visible in our differences. The reason the gospel is visible in our differences is because hospitality bridges those differences. Biblical hospitality bridges those differences. And you've been hearing me say, let's think about those who aren't here yet. Because those who are coming may be more different from us than any time in our past. Why would that be so? It might be so because there is greater need in the world today. The world is a more complex place today. It is a more broken place today. It is a more diverse place today. It is a more disagreeable place today. But hospitality in the gospel can bridge those differences and hospitality becomes the means by which God creates a community of faith in which the gospel is visible in our differences and love becomes the byword of the church in which love is not just spoken but it is lived out. It is lived out in such a way that it transcends our belief structures and gathers us around Jesus and the cross in such a powerful way that the most important thing that matters to us is Jesus and the cross. And we will not surrender that between one another for any other belief. And I know you, some of you always say, but, 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 but. But let me ask you a question. Is there anything of more importance and more value and more vitality than believing and following Jesus? If that's a difficult answer, let's have a conversation. Let's pray together. Let's gather together. 
And so this morning, I want to explore hospitality. And so today we're going to explore some of the biblical foundations. Where are the places in Scripture where hospitality is visible? And for some of them, we might be seeing them in a different way than we've ever seen them before. I invite you to take a moment and think about a worshiping community that you experienced in which you found hospitality to be true and to be real. Where you found people who were hospitable to you and they left an impression upon you. I grew up in the Church of the Nazarene in La Habra, California, not far from here. And I remember to this day Mr. and Mrs. Scott, an elderly couple with a daughter who would have participated in our Oasis ministry. And he with his hat every Sunday morning and she dressed in a more matronly way but as they would leave that small sanctuary and as they would walk out of that small foyer, if they saw me, they would greet me. Seven, eight, nine, ten years old. To a child, to be greeted by someone like that is to be seen, to be noticed. They saw me. They noticed me. They greeted me. And in my junior high and high school years, we were attending the Redlands Church of the Nazarene in Redlands, California. And in high school, we had open lunch. We could go off campus for lunch. And so one day, a young woman and I went off campus for lunch. And on Sunday, one of the women in the church came to me and said, I saw you downtown and you were with a young woman. Now this is not a village and I wasn't in trouble. But she said, you know, what I noticed was the young lady was walking on the outside toward the curb and you were on the inside. A gentleman always walks on the outside. That's right. So for the rest of my life since that Sunday, guess where I have walked? But you know what? I was seen. I was noticed. I was cared for. I was taught kindly. Also in that congregation was a retired widow lady Hazel was her name. In my senior year of high school, she came to me and said, I understand you're going to go to Pasadena College. Understand your, your desire is to be a pastor. She said, I'm going to send you $100 a month. My pastor was a gentleman by the name of Andrew Young. 
and in his hospitality to me, he said, I want to make a call and I want you to go to Pasadena College and I want you to visit with a man. The registrar's name is Dr. Cecil Miller. Some of you may remember Dr. Miller. I was a kid from a family. My mother said to me, I don't know how you'll ever go to college. We have no money. I was just ignorant enough to believe that if I went, it would happen. So on a spring afternoon, I drove from Redlands to Pasadena, right over here by Washington Hill. Knocked on the door of the registrar. Dr. Cecil Miller invited me into his office. Invited me to be seated in the chair, one of the two chairs in front of his desk. And then he came from behind the desk and sat next to me. Hospitality. His gracious gesture leveled the playing field, closed the distance between us. That became something I practiced all of my professional life. And so I have been touched by the hospitality of the community of faith in different ways. I would imagine you have as well. And I fully recognize, and we'll talk a little bit more about it next week, but I fully recognize that not every place you've been in the community of faith has been hospitable. In fact, some places have been abusive and some of you have suffered trauma and I grieve for that. Some of you have suffered trauma and abuse at the hands of clergy and I grieve for that. But the scripture brings great hope to us and sets the standard for the community of faith as a standard of hospitality. The two passages read this morning come out of the New Testament experience and the Romans passage is instruction to the church and to a church that is still forming. The church is young. And in the Peter passage, the instruction is to a church that has been spread and scattered. And the instruction is, in both cases, practice hospitality. Be hospitable to one another, both inside the body of believers and outside body of believers. And to make sure that our understanding of hospitality is grounded in good theology, I want us to look back across the span of Scripture for a few minutes. For there are four places that I want to suggest to you illustrate hospitality. The first one is in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, in the work of God in creation. For what God seeks to do in Genesis 1 is to bring order out of chaos. In Genesis chapter 
to God creates humankind. And in Genesis chapter 3, there are the consequences of the decisions made by Adam and Eve. But in those three chapters, I want to suggest to you, they speak of hospitality and that God created a space. God created a space for the people of his creation to have fellowship with him. Biblical hospitality is a space that's created by the people of God in which there is the possibility of fellowship with God. Notice in Genesis chapter 3, even though Adam and Eve must suffer the consequences of their sin, God does not kill them, but God still gives them another space. See, my definition of hospitality would say, hospitality welcomes the stranger and estranged. Not just the stranger, but those who are estranged. Those who somehow have distanced themselves from God or from the church due to some experience, some event, something that happened, some teachings, whatever it is. But think about hospitality to the estranged as biblically viable as those who are strangers among us. And what God does in those three chapters is that God seeks to bring order out of chaos. Could I suggest to you that hospitality can help bring order out of someone's chaos? Hospitality can be a, a practice, a place, a space, a lifestyle in which someone says, oh, this is good, and I'm welcome here. I'm welcome here even though my story is not known. The second place I want to suggest to you that hospitality is evident is in God's pattern of creating covenant. For in God's pattern of creating covenant, and you can go all the way through the Old Testament and all the covenants that God created with Noah, Abraham, Moses, Israel, down the list. God's always initiating covenant. We say it around here often, God relentlessly and lovingly pursues us. That's hospitality. Because hospitality, practice well, practice biblically, is pursuit, if you will. It's initiation. because it has a magnetic-like draw to it to say, 
I want to be back in that place with those people again. And what God does in creating covenant, and particularly in Genesis chapter 15 with Abraham, you remember that God says to Abraham, get these animals and split them in two and start the fire and all of that. Remember those great images and there's images of these animals split in two. And the covenantal practice was that when two parties would create covenant with one another, they would go through this ritual of splitting animals in two and then both parties would walk through those animals as a statement, as a sign, as a symbol that if I don't keep my part of this covenant, may this happen to me. But you'll notice in the covenant making of Genesis chapter 15, Abraham falls into a deep sleep and it is God alone who walks through those animals as if to say, not only will I keep my part, Abraham, I'm going to keep your part as well. That's hospitality. Because hospitality says you may not be able to keep your part, but we will help you keep your part. Or that's the model of God in covenant making and covenant keeping. For God in Jesus Christ has kept our part because he knows we can't do it perfectly. And God has walked through the sacrifice on our behalf. If that's not hospitality, I don't know what is. That's the greatest welcome the world has ever seen. And then as we march on through the Old Testament and God calls Israel out of Egypt and we arrive in the desert place and God creates covenant with Israel, the third example of hospitality is God's creation of community. For as God gathers Israel in the desert, God is creating for the first time a community called by the name of God. And here is God and here is Israel in the desert. And in that great passage, God says to Israel, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. This is after he has identified the roles of the priests in the order of Aaron. <clears throat> but now he gives a larger charge to the community of faith, and he says, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And what does a priest do? A priest is a source of grace. A priest assists with redemption. A priest becomes the agent of God in the world. And so it is that when God gathers the community of Israel, he creates a nation of priests, a nation of people who are to be given to grace and mercy, who are to be given to being agents of God in the world. Now that becomes a problem sometimes. 
Because sometimes when God appoints people to a biblical role, they take it and they humanize it. And they say, oh, we are priests. Let us set ourselves apart so we may remain pure and not be tainted by others. Such thinking has given rise to great theological systems of legalism. Oh, let's be careful. Don't hang out with the evil people. They might mess you up. If we are that fragile in our faith, we don't have faith. If my faith is not so firmly founded in the blood of Jesus Christ and the redemptive work of Jesus Christ that I have to be afraid of someone else, then I need to revisit the altar. And I need to work my way through that. But down through the centuries of time, people have taken on roles, biblical roles, and humanized them in pride. And so they became barriers to mercy and grace and redemption, not avenues to mercy and grace and redemption. We okay? Everybody okay? See, when God creates a community, God creates a community so that we might be a hospitable source of grace and mercy and an avenue to redemption because you never know. You never know who's gonna show up on your doorstep. You never know. But I am absolutely of the opinion, <clears throat> and you can argue with me and debate with me if you want to, be wrong. <laughs> but if someone shows up here, and I do not care what their story is, if someone shows up here, the Spirit of God is at work in their life in some dimension. And for us to be inhospitable to their presence would be resistance against the work of the Spirit of God. I don't care what this story is. The gospel is made visible in our differences, and part of the differences is in our stories. Some of you all were saved out of terrible lives of sin. Some of you all grew up in the church like me, and so we don't have this dramatic story but what we have is a story that's just as deadly. Because unless we've come to Jesus Christ and confessed, you see, the church will not save us. The church will host us.
But our pride can get in the way and become a problem. There's a fourth great place in the scripture where hospitality is in evidence and it is in the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Last week I used that as a statement of generosity. I use it today also as a statement of hospitality. Guess what? You and you and you and you and you and you are part of that great word, whoever. Be grateful for whoever. Thanks be to God for whoever. That passage helps me in my responsibility of hospitality because it reminds me that the Spirit of God works in whoever and is not limited to whom I might limit the Spirit of God to. So here we are. We find hospitality in God's work of creation. We find hospitality in God's covenant-making work. We find hospitality in God's formation of community. We find hospitality in the cross. And I think about all of the ways Jesus gave and extended hospitality to the Roman centurion, to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, through the work of the Holy Spirit in Peter's life. Remember Peter's vision in Acts? And he says, I have never eaten unclean food. And the Spirit of God says, do not call unclean what I call clean. And that's the breaking open of the gospel to the Gentiles. There's hospitality in the cross. There's hospitality in the presence of God, in the community of faith given for you and me. Next week, we're going to talk about practices of hospitality. I'm going to help some of you next week. But help me next week. But here's my working definition of hospitality. Hospitality is a practice that makes the gospel visible. To the friend, to the stranger, and to the estranged. Now we have a history of hospitality, but I would love for this place to grow in our capacity for hospitality. For you and you and you and you and you and me. 
to have the capacity of gracious hospitality as an extension of God's grace and mercy, so much so that whatever we hear in someone's story, we would just simply say, God is at work. That we don't need to be gatekeepers at the front doors of the church. You know what a gatekeeper is? It's an executive assistant. The gatekeeper decides who gets in and who doesn't. I learned a long time ago in my professional life, the most important person in the organization was the gatekeeper. Always be nice to the gatekeeper. But we don't need to be gatekeepers in biblical hospitality. We just want to be door openers. Let me get that door for you. Come on in. Welcome. Glad you're here. But I'm, I don't care. Just glad you're here. And let it be that way for you, for us. Creation, covenant, community, and cross are all foundations of biblical hospitality. Each are images of God's initiatives of hospitality that invite us, welcome us, and beckon us into bringing the kingdom of God on earth. for the lives of those who are here and those who are here not here yet. Before, before hospitality was a practice of ours, it was and is a practice of God's. Amen.